1: L.A.
2: Woman.
3: L.A. Woman. Ben, stop singing L.A. Woman. We have a show. He's been singing it the whole time. That's why we're late. He was singing it the whole time.
2: Uh, no, yeah, I got to tell the truth. The, the real reason we're late is my computer died. I have no, And I don't know how, why. It just died, you know? Look, it just went plop and died on me, and then I had to wait for it to not die, whatever the... Come back to work. How could it die? Then come back to life. I don't. Know. Nobody knows. All right, your Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show.
3: When it comes to you, Jarofsky, nobody knows. Nobody
2: knows.
3: Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, September twenty-first. It's just moments away. But before we do this, we need to thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. <laughs> The Chicago Federation of Labor. The Chicago Teachers Union. Yes, they are sponsors. And Chicago Reader. Reader ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. So much. Go check it out. ChicagoReader.com. Subscribe. And you can check out columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky there as well. I'm sure you knew that, though. Chicago Reader. Reader ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V as in victory. S-K-Y. You can become a binhead. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Tuesday, September 21st, and live from my apartment in his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program... Nicole Cantello, and making his return, Personal Pack CEO, Terry Cosgrove. And now your host,
2: Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this News of the Weird Tuesday, and here's why. Because the news is weird, that's why. Before we do that, Young Dennis, happy weekend. Did you have a nice weekend?
3: Yes, I did. Happy weekend on Tuesday. (laughs) Who says happy weekend on Tuesday?
2: You know, I tell you, folks. Part of the reason we were a little late getting started is my computer did die. But the other part is that I don't know if you guys know this, but Dennis is a chatterbox. So, like every day before the show, he calls me up. He goes, "So, what you do this weekend?" I go, "Well, Dennis, I'm really busy. I'm writing my report here. I got to get ready to go." No, no, no. I want to tell you about this wedding I went to. Oh my God! I'm like, I have to work. (laughs) Actually, none of that happened. No, it was the complete opposite. (laughs) So, Dave, man, what was the wedding like? Were people wearing masks? And then all of a sudden I look at the clock and I go, oh my God. Five minutes to the show. And then my computer doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nicole Cantello has joined us. Nicole Cantello has joined us. I love it when my guests show up. <laughs> uh, we're gonna get we're gonna get to her in a little while, but let me just uh, say this before I get to Nicole in our interview with her about the EPA, my favorite union. And well, is it my favorite union? I don't want to have favorites, okay? I uh, got the Teachers Union, they sponsor the show I got a lot of love for them, SEIU Oh, I love my whole SEIU So I'm not going to say uh, The EPA Work Union is my favorite They did give me an award So Anyway, I want to give a shout out uh, To Bill Horberg, if you guys watch the Emmys Bill Horberg uh, The Chicago kid, the pride and joy of Latin High School uh, Who was the producer, big time Hollywood producer And his uh, Netflix show Queen's Gamut uh, won the Emmy he and he gave a speech D uh, he gave a speech this Sunday did he thank uh, our show he, yes that was the first thing he did he goes I just want to thank that show that podcast in, <laughs> in Chicago with the weird hippie guy in his attic and uh, the uh, the millennial that producer guy who comes from Alton they call him the doctor yeah at least five minutes of his no he didn't thank our show but he thanked his mom Dear friend of the show, Joan. So, congratulations, Joan. Oh, how he said, awesome. My, my mom in Chicago. And then, I, of course, I spent the next, rest of the Emmys telling my wife, you know, I know the guy. He was on my show. <laughs> like, I won the Emmy. All right, anyway, uh, congratulations, uh, William Horberg. Uh, Nicole Cantello uh, is our guest today. Nicole, are you there? There you are. And uh, Nicole Cantello, um, you're the president. Do I have the the title correct or do I have the title wrong?
1: Yeah, that's my title. I'm hanging in here, Uh, working at home now for EPA
2: for the epa she's a scientist or she's a lawyer uh and a union activist and has been on the show many times several times uh because her union is one of my favorite unions uh they led the charge back in 2017 i want to say right after Donnie trump uh was sworn in um uh, to oppose trump is that correct nicole
1: that's right. Our first day in the streets was February 6, 2017, when it looked like Pruitt was going to be nominated to head EPA. Uh, that was our first day in the streets. It was the beginning of a big education. Uh, we spent four years or four years uh, opposing Trump. Uh, he came back at us and attacked us in multiple different ways, uh, through you know taking away all the ways that we could protect uh, the people of the Great Lakes, and then all the way through t- you know pulling our contract, taking away all of our work rights. I'm imposing am uh, a directive on us that took away, you know, basically everything that we had to protect ourselves, but we survived. And here we are in the Biden administration with 1000 employees still intact uh, here uh, headquarters in, in uh, Chicago.
2: Well, before we uh, get into what I really want to talk about today, which is uh, mandates, uh, vaccine mandates and how they affect uh, federal employees and uh, whether uh, federal employees can be a model for other unions and other workforces throughout the country. Let's just talk briefly, since we're already on this uh, avenue, Nicole, about the difference between uh, being EPA employees under Trump and uh, biden i i remember the first column i wrote about uh your actions the union's actions i was expressing my shock i'd never seen uh, federal employees so bold uh going just taking the charge taking the lead as far as i saw it on the issues of the environment there were many activists on the streets in uh, 2017 against trump but one of the leading forces on behalf of the environment uh was your union are things markedly different uh, under Joe Biden's administration, than they were under Trump,
1: yeah. I mean, it has been extraordinary the change uh, in culture, the change in direction that Biden has given given the agency. it is if Biden, you know, sat back uh, during the four years of the o- Obama administration and just saw all of the things that he thought held up change. Uh, and then he's just directed his folks to um, avoid those. And so the change that has, the turnaround that has happened at the agency has been so quick. And uh, we are working on all those things that we said during the, Biden, during the Trump administration were lacking. You know, climate change and environmental justice, our two favorites were the two that Biden decided to act on immediately. Uh, and we couldn't be pleased uh, more uh, with the turnaround. Uh, it has just been so swift uh, and the action so right on point. Uh, that the Biden administration has taken, especially in Chicago, with all of the uh, focus on environmental justice and all the environmental justice communities that needed healing. And, uh, you know, Michael Regan came here very early in May of, uh, of, uh, of uh, May of 2021 to meet with Lori Lightfoot and also privately with all the EJ communities. Uh, he was one of the first places that he came uh, after he got um, appointed. Uh, and that was very impressive for him to come right to Chicago and try to heal. And, and we were very impressed by that. So, um, you know, they're going, they're completely on the right track.
2: How, how the, how is the difference manifested in terms of treating employees, the workforce?
1: Well, you know, they, um, one thing is, you know, the employees are not worried about getting fired uh, they're working on things that are, you know, really helping the people of the Great Lakes Uh, um, and really protecting human health and the environment, I think that's really, you know, just the most crucial thing. You know, EPA employees join EPA because they're true believers. I think that's why we're out in the streets immediately. That's why we're one of the most important voices for protecting environment uh, here in Chicago and the Great Lakes. Uh, uh, That's why you saw us out there. Uh, And so the fact that we are able to work on those things right now uh, is so important to us. Uh, And I think, you know, the working conditions are really much better now than they were before.
2: You know, I I must have subconsciously sensed that there was a change because I didn't do my usual introduction, Nicole. I told you I was going to do it, and I didn't do it. My usual introduction is that Nicole is protected by the First Amendment and by her union, so don't fire her, EPA, for speaking her mind. Remember how I always used to do that for all the EPA employees that would come on the show, and I just didn't even do it. That's uh, right. I'm speaking not, on
1: behalf of myself and not on behalf of EPA. That's
2: the most. There fun. you go. Uh, all right. So uh, go easy on her, EPA. All right. I'm still distrustful of bureaucrats. You shouldn't
1: sure be happy with what I'm saying now. So I'm Yeah, sorry. that's true. It's not
2: <laughs> Joe's doing a great job. She's saying, OK. Um, I, uh, well, what about all right? We're going to get to mandates, but I, I just remember like the petty things, the anti. See, because it seemed as though Trump. Uh, and I man, the mindset of Republicans, it was like declaring war on the, the uh, unions of the federal employees. And this is kind of like this, um, uh, this talking point that uh, a lot of Republicans have, Nicole, not just the uh, MAGA, not just Trump. But I read this in the columns of the conservatives right for The New York Times. They talk about federal employees and bureaucrats as though they're some kind of species, subspecies of human beings that are uh, preventing society from moving forward. And this is like this attitude that's pervasive among conservatives, very weird a- a attitude, uh, that they have. It's a bias that they have. Um, has, has that, do you, do you have a sense that that has changed, uh, like that negativity, that hostility just in general to what, uh, federal employees do,
1: you know, with the general public, uh- you know you hope that at some point people can see especially during the pandemic all of the actions that have been taken by the federal government to try to come together and ease you know the pain that's going on out there you know epa had a small piece uh the fda all the different federal employees that are just working overtime to try to make sure that people are being kept safe uh the cdc now I mean, this is all federal employees um, exerting their expertise on behalf of the nation. Uh, I would hope that there is some, you know, sea change in um, the public opinion about federal employees because I'm telling you, we're putting in the hours. Uh, and the overtime hours, even at EPA, um, you know, working on the pandemic and other things, protecting the human health and the environment, working overtime to reverse some of the you know, damaging um, policy actions that the Trump administration took. So, well, you know, you, you got to hope that folks are watching um, because the amount of effort that's being put out right now by federal employees is, and the overtime. I'm telling you, I can tell you that people are working around the clock uh, to try to reverse uh, what happened. Uh, it's just extraordinary. So hopefully there's someone watching the, that, uh, and the EPA and their public relations folks are getting uh, the word out. I, I know that they they do try. Um, so hopefully that's happening.
2: All right, let's uh, get into the issue of the mandate, which is uh, uh, m- the main thing on my agenda here uh, to talk with you about today. Uh, and the uh, Joe uh, President Biden, I keep calling him Joe Biden, like he's my friend, President Biden, uh, said that uh, federal employees uh, will have to be vaccinated. I can't remember the date offhand, so why don't you just lay out the terms of what uh, uh, Biden's uh, order was on this matter? Go ahead.
1: Yeah, you know, this is an interesting thing for a federal union because it puts us at the crossroads of, you know, supporting a mandate, but also trying to protect employees. And there's certain employees that might have a, uh, you know, a medical exemption that they need to put forth or some folks feel like they have a religious exemption or religious objection. And so we're we're kind of, uh, you know, like I said, stride across the crossroads of uh, this this situation. So what um, Joe Biden did was he uh, he ordered that all federal employees as a condition of employment, that means you can be fired if you don't have it. Take it, take the vaccine uh, by November 22nd. Uh, That's a quite uh, a a short time frame. That means that uh, for the two um, uh, uh, vaccines that need a double dose, uh, one, uh, the Moderna, you'd have to take in by uh, October 8th 8th, and the the Pfizer you'd have to take in by October 12th Mm -hmm. in order to reach uh, the November 22nd. Uh, date and then I believe that the J and uh, I think you get a little bit further down the road because it's only one dose and you're at October 22nd or something like that, October 23rd. Uh, but this is you know a very tight deadline that federal employees have to decide. You know where do they stand? Are they going to put in some kind of ex- exemption and try to get um, uh, you know a uh, you know exempt from the from the requirement, which we understand is going to be very tight. Uh, or, uh, or are they going to get the vi- uh, vaccine? And this is you know, obviously apart from all the folks that are vaccinated. So you know, way before this, our union took a poll of our bargaining unit. And this is everybody, not only members, but everybody who is at EPA uh, in region five. And we found out an 80, 80% approval rating uh, for a vaccinated workplace. So EPA obviously is populated by scientists who understand uh, vaccines and understand the science behind them. And so there was broad support for a vaccinated workplace. Uh, so there's just a small amount of folks who we're talking about who would be, uh, have the max, the mandate come down on them. Uh, so that's, that's this is what we know now, uh, but there would be a disciplinary action in place if folks did not were not vaccinated by November 22nd. And we're talking about these folks losing their jobs.
2: All right, let's deal with this uh, from the perspective of a union. Get your thoughts on this one, because I well. I don't really have mixed feelings, but I see both sides. Uh, I believe in collective bargaining. So that puts me at odds with a mandate commanded by uh, the employer, in this case, uh, President Biden. Um, what's your opinion about this? Does in your humble opinion, does uh, the president of the United States have the authority uh, to uh, or order or command? unionized workforce to uh, get a vaccine vaccination without some kind of collective bargaining negotiations.
1: Yeah. So we are going to bargain this and Biden already ordered the agencies to bargain it so that for sure, we're going to bargain the impact and implementation of this on federal employees, whether or not Joe Biden actually has the right to actually just impose a mandate has already been decided by courts. It actually was decided when a Navy ship was, was a, uh, uh, carrying the anthrax vaccine and everybody on that Navy ship had to ha- take on the anthrax, um, was, was carrying the, the anthrax virus and everybody on the, 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 uh, the ship had to take on the anthrax vaccine. Two civilians who were uh, working for the Navy uh, uh, r- refused to take on the anthrax vaccine and, uh, uh, on that ship and um, they were ordered to, they, they fought it through the courts, uh, they were fired by the Navy. Uh, and the uh, courts let that fire those firings stand. That is the, um, the precedent that is being uh, pointed to by the Biden administration uh, as the one uh, that, you know, supports their, their uh, mandate. Uh, so uh, as far as, f- f- you know, fighting it from the standpoint of whether or not the Biden administration has the authority to do this, I, I don't think that the unions really think that that's an appropriate use of our Treasury. Um, but Um, whether or not we're going to uh, bargain appropriate um, implementation of this, absolutely. We're going to make sure that every single one of these employees has the right to seek whatever exemptions are um, allowed by law, and that's what I'm doing right now. Actually, I Uh, am doing that.
2: So just to make it clear, uh, if the courts have already ruled that uh, Biden has the authority um, to order... uh, Vaccinations, then there's really nothing to negotiate, if you follow what I just said.
1: Yeah, we're going to negotiate, make sure there's a process in place for everybody to who wants to come forward with their religious exemption or their um, or their medical exemption to have that process and to make sure that they're fully heard with regard to. Uh, if those exemptions are appropriate. And that's what we're talking about, that kind of implementation. Um, And we're going to do that for our employees because there are employees with legitimate medical and religious exemptions. And if they are legitimate, we're going to make sure that they are fully heard by the agency. And that's what a union does.
2: Now, I've been struggling with this one, Nicole, so help me out on this one. Legitimate religious exemptions.
1: Um, I'm
2: trying to figure out what that means. A religious exemption I'm trying to think what religion in the world, I mean, maybe Christian science. I don't know that commands that you not get vaccinated. Help me out here on a religious exemption. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Apparently the Christian scientists have come out and said that they don't um, dispel vaccines. So I think those are out, but I think you could put forth whatever and make your case to whatever agency official is deciding this. Um, I heard that there's religious exemption based on the fetal cell issue. Um, I'm sure you heard of that, that there are certain vaccines that were tested with fetal cells. That's absolutely true. So some of the, it's not made with fetal cells. I want to like, dispel that rumor. None of the vaccines were made with fetal cells, but some were tested with fetal cells. And these are fetal cells that came from the 1950s. And I don't understand why that's from the 1950s. So don't ask me about that, even though I come from a scientific agency. Um, but um, they were tested. And apparently there are folks who have um, religious ex- ex- um, objections based on that, even though Tylenol and some other um, drugs were also um, uh Uh, tested using those same cells and I don't know if those folks were also you know not using those drugs um, but apparently there is this um, testing that happened with regard to these vaccines and um, yeah so uh, you can put forth this exemption and we are definitely going to support it and there are agency officials will make these decisions and I'm glad I'm not those people
2: uh, so in other words, that key that we will support it. I've talked to my friends who work for unions uh, who are what they always to call bargaining agents, mm-hmm. uh, which were the people who would have to who literally would be negotiating with the bosses and uh, case by case uh, situations. And so I put it to them. I go, so uh, and they're all everybody, all my bargain aging friends on the call are vaccinated and they all to a T think that the unvaccinated are a detriment. And they get really frustrated a lot, every single one of them, but a lot, most of them, okay? Frustrated by the unvaccinated. So I always put it to them this little challenge. Oh, yeah? Well, what if you have a, a member of your union who claims religious exemption? How, and, and the boss says, no, that's not good enough. How far are you willing to take that person's case? How far are you willing to push that individual employee? And so uh, I get, this is a question I ask all my uh, friends who are bargaining agents, so I'll put it to you. How far is your union willing to go in the case of the one employee who may or may not say, I I just cannot have uh, this vaccination?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a case-by-case basis. I think um, you'd have to take a look at the facts of the case. Every single union um, grievance along these lines uh, are determined by that. Um, you know, medical exemptions, obviously are ones that are you know really palpable and ones where if it was someone's life um, or someone's you know health would be severely compromised by a a um a, a vaccine, we would have to look at that really closely. Um, and the religious exemption, again, it would have to be a, a case-by-case basis um, to see exactly, you know, what the religious ex- uh, you know, objection was. And, um, you know, we would obviously consult with people who were experts. So, like, this is a situation where our union right now is seeking experts in these fields in order to help us try to navigate this. Mm-hmm. Because we don't really have a lot of uh, information about these two um, areas. And we actually have, you know, gotten some Uh, advice and help about it. But um, we are still seeking more experts. And, um, you know, uh, like this, like I said, a case by case basis. And, you know, I don't think it's out of out of the um, out of the realm that we would, you know, take someone's case, you know, further than just, you know, the agency process, you know, into the legal realm. But we'd have to see how strong uh, the case was and if it would survive and those kinds of things. And that's for any union case that we have. So.
2: My guess is, and you said this earlier, but my guess is you're a lot of scientists uh, in your union, a lot of really brainy people. I met them. I went to a luncheon once, filled with uh, <laughs> everybody was really smart. Uh, so, and I'm not saying, I just want to get this one out, that people who are against the vaccine are not smart. I'm just saying everybody in this union was smart. Uh, although I guess I kind of am implying that, Nicole. But, um, just in general, I would say that the overwhelming number of people in your union would already have the vaccine uh, and would not be resisting it. Would I be correct to make that assumption
1: yeah like like I said um, we had we already did a survey and eighty eight percent of the people in our union or in our bargaining unit support a vaccinated workplace so that says to me that we have a very high level of um, of people who have been vaccinated. So I, I think this is a really small percentage of people um, who we're talking about. Uh, and I don't think that this is going to be a really high low, high caseload for me. Um, I, I assume that there'll be just a group of people who immediately will get the vaccine just based on the fact that they were ordered to. Um, and then we'll have to talk about, talk with those people who aren't willing to. And I guess that that'll be, you know, a subject for me for the next I don't know three four months um so yeah it's a really high percentage um when 88 percent say that they support a fully vaccinated workload I think that that you can take that probably to the bank that that means that um you're you're hovering around 90 percent for for vaccination there for a work, and that's a very high percent for I think any any workplace Uh, so um hopefully that means that it won't be too high a workload for me in the next (laughs) coming weeks
2: uh, Nicole, excuse my ignorance, but uh, are EPA employees still working virtually or are they back at the office?
1: So uh, another thing is that we're 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 fully negotiating right now with the agencies. Part of the bargaining is the is the future of work that Biden has put forth. And that means bargaining with, when we're coming back to the office um biden has also mandated that the federal employees have to come back to the office uh you know within the next coming months and we're bargaining that as well um so there's all these things are coming into one big confluence and i think the the vac- vaccination mandate is one of the things that is coming into the confluence of when we're going to come back to the office so if i had to guess i would say that one of the demands made by the by the agency is not to have us come back to the office prior to the vaccine mandate which is november uh, 22nd and we won't be ordered back to the office prior to that date uh so uh but more to come. This is this is so much bargaining in one time for federal employees. It's just extraordinary, and we just haven't had this much activity as a union, and quite a bit, and so much, so much controversy uh, uh, coming down on federal employees. It's really uh, having us under a spotlight. Uh, it's really unusual.
2: Yeah, and uh, by the way, is there a, a difference in attitude between uh, the Trump administration? and the Biden administration about working virtually or working in the office? Was Trump more insistent on in going back to the office in Biden or was is it pretty much the same?
1: No, no. The Trump administration was hostile towards working into the office, and in, in, uh, uh, sorry, and virtually, and in fact, uh, waited to the last minute to uh, during the um, pandemic to uh, to to order the EPA employees to go home. We we went all the way into deep into March before they ordered us um, uh, back into into our homes because of the pandemic. It was just ho- horrible. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and no, they are not; they were not for uh, work employees working at home. They wanted us all in the office where they could watch us um but the biden administration is very pro um remote work uh, and telework and so they you know are trying to work with the unions they're very pro-union and they're trying to work with the unions to try to get to a place where the unions are comfortable uh, with the return back into the workplace so that's been very favorable Um, but we're still you know trying to iron out that deal uh, and trying to iron out a really um good deal for the federal um, employee as far as remote work
2: all right, then let me just take a brief break uh, to give my thoughts on this. Uh, this is my thoughts, not Nicole's thought, but MAGA, that is so weird and twisted. Just think about that MAGA for a moment. I know a lot of MAGA people out there watch, listen to this show. Donnie Trump, the president, was trying to force EPA workers to go back to the office. I remember this, Nicole. Okay, but slow on, afraid to do a mask mandate, afraid to do a, a vaccine mandate. Even at this moment, MAGA won't say Yes. <laughs> You you should take on any circumstances, they back away like Donald Trump gave a speech. I don't know if you saw this in Alabama a few weeks ago where he said, you know, the the vaccine's not bad. I got it. People were booing. He goes, but you have the right to, to take it or don't take it. They are so freaking weird when it comes to this pandemic. They just cannot concede that it's a danger to the health and the safety, of the people in this country—they just can't concede that Nicole, because somehow or other, here, here I make them uh, vulnerable. Do you get what I'm saying? Uh, that like Trump is not some brilliant genius. This is me speaking, not Nicole. But Nicole, you must, at some level, uh, share my thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, I mean, f- after fighting them for all these years, it's you know you're exactly right. They will never concede that they're wrong ever.
2: Yes, they will never concede uh, wrong. I'm happy to say that my next guest, Terry Cosgrove, has somehow or other figured out how, how to work the system. Uh, he he, caught, he called me in the middle of the show uh, to seek advice. But, Nicole, I'm still talking to, uh, to Nicole. Oh, wait, have I lost Nicole? I think I lost Nicole. I scared her off with it when I said Terry Cosgrove. And to, no, Nicole! I'll reach out to her. All right, reach out to her and... Uh, uh, she may. I was going to ask her one last question about advice she, she would have for other unions. Uh, Terry Cosgrove is sitting there. Terry, you called me. I was in the middle of interviewing the caller. I was
0: going <laughs> to. I emailed Dennis and said we ran into this problem last time. You know I'm older than 21. And I realized <laughs> I could use my Gmail which I know <laughs> you do, uh, to log in. It. So when I tried that, it worked. So leave me alone and get out of here. <laughs> <kid. laughs>
2: I love my older guests. This is uh
0: just if I could just share this. Yeah, and I'm as Not old what's as my your old... name. What, what's your what's your what's your um QAnon woman's name that died? Okay, um, now don't don't
2: don't come on now. Be um, polite, be nice, all right? Be right? respectful. You're just mad because uh, I wasn't on a bridge for you. So. Yeah, okay. You didn't <laughs> uh but uh, it was Veronica. yes, don't don't be uh right, well, um, I'm gonna be nice, respectful. be nice, yes, be respectful. Uh she was a support of many good leftist causes and then she went in the other direction and, and wound up with QAnon um, and by then as I've said many times she had stopped listening to my show maybe because she no longer agreed with it ideologically but I think the real reason was that as one of older people in the city of Chicago she was incapable of mastering the art of listening to a podcast or I've discussed this many times if it's not on AM radio it doesn't exist <laughs>
0: At so one better day, than have been.
2: Uh, So anyway, I think uh, we have lost Nicole, uh, which is a shame. She was doing a great job and um, that is OK. And what we have to do is take a break uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, which I will not explain uh, to Terry Cosgrove Actually, right now. No need. You can go really what about wait hold on uh dennis what about the google meet and the cap well i
3: mean out? i know we just break fourth walls every single day I, I paid for the 14 day free trial <laughs> <laughs> so
2: what a bootleg operation terry cosgrove if you knew what a bootleg operation this God, was listen, you would never I come up to show I to say that i
0: get google like I'm on a, a 10 o'clock call every Wednesday. It's the same thing, Google Meet, and I never have to put a password in or do anything. I just click on enter and I'm in, you know. So okay. I don't know why you and Dennis have to make it so complicated.
2: <laughs> no, Google Meet is, um, I think uh, they, they, they put a cap on us so we would have to always cut out of the show and then come back and whatever. It uh, So you're going to
0: you're gonna cut me off? And
2: I have to cut no, no, off? no, no. We're all good. We're all good. Dennis just said we're all good. All right, Terry Cosgrove. Uh, executive director of Personal Pact, uh, the biggest troublemaker in the state of Illinois, dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky show, stuck with, stood with me even after I got fired by that radio station, uh, whose names I can't remember. Uh, Terry Cosgrove, the world has gotten... A little more uh, dangerous on the front of reproductive rights, I'll put it that way, uh, with the Texas law being passed and the Supremes, led by Brett Kavanaugh uh, and Amy Coney Barrett, for all those who think elections don't matter, uh, essentially burying their heads in the sand, allowing uh, a row to be ripped up to shreds. And... um, you haven't been on the show since uh, since since so there's a lot of political ramifications to all this. We'll get a political discussion. Let's just first talk about what the world of reproductive rights looks like right now. Uh, Terry Cosgrove has been on the front line fighting for abortion rights since the 80s. My friends he's been doing it for a long time. Uh, so what does the world look like right now uh, after the uh, Texas law?
0: Well, I'll give you the uh, the good uh, the bad news first, which it looks horrible. But first of all, Ben, I want to say something that no one should be surprised that we reach this point, given the you know the outcomes of elections uh, both at the state level and the national level with uh, Trump in 2016, his appointment to the court, and the constant erosion of reproductive rights at the federal and the state level, uh, starting with taking away. Uh, Medicaid funding for low-income women. Um, this horrible idea of um, young women who are abused by their uh, by their parents or adult family members have to get their parents have to notify their parents or get their permission to get an abortion. Waiting periods. I mean, Roe has been has been the tenets of it that um, every woman has a right to a legal abortion has been eroding for the last um, forty five years. Uh, and so we're, we're just reaching this point now where it is um, it's impacting uh, a larger group of women. I don't mean to say just, but we are reaching this point. So Texas sh- really should not have surprised anyone. and But it is a shock to know that a state has basically um, outlawed abortion and that the Supreme Court um, has refused the remedy of appeal to put it on hold until there could be a full hearing. And again, um, it it, sh- it shouldn't have surprised people because we were moving in this direction. So the bad news is that this law, will, copycat law, will probably be seen in states all around us. And Illinois is the only state in the middle of the country where uh, where it looks like abortion will remain um, safe and relatively legal until we get rid of our horrible Dangerous parental notice of abortion law, which we can discuss um, later in the show. Uh, but for right now, so here, so that's the bad news. The good news for people who live in Illinois, unlike pro-choice advocates in all these right-wing states, we actually can do something here that is that is a positive step forward for the women of the Midwest. Because, um, like I said. The only states where abortion is going to remain legal and accessible are on the two coasts, and Illinois is the only state in the middle of the country. So everyone needs to do what? Put on their big boy pants, stop gnashing their teeth, and understand that the 2022 election is going to decide if 100 million women in the Midwest will have um, a shot at access to abortion care in Illinois which means we have many important races constitutional races we have the all 177 members of the Illinois General Assembly are up for election and we have two very critical supreme court races and if if pro choice advocates in this case democrats do not win one of these seats there will be a 5 to 4 trump like majority on the illinois supreme court so hb 40 the reproductive health act and anything that we have accomplished not just on the reproductive rights front but for labor for the environment for gun safety and you go down the list if if those if that's supreme illinois supreme court is dominated by five Republican justices, we will mirror Texas in the end because they will voting rights they will they will literally strip us of everything. So everyone that is listening to this program, this is the most important election in 50 years. There is nothing and these are 10 year terms. So we are talking about the next decade, minimum, minimum. Next decade in this state um, having a Illinois Supreme Court, um, that will be horrible on the issues that I imagine 99% of your listeners care about. So so there's nothing more important than, than organizing and everyone becoming engaged to make sure everyone we know is, number one, registered to vote, number two, knows where to vote and is educated on the issues so that we get a massive turnout by progressives and Democrats in the 2022 election to literally save this state for the middle of the country. So, all right uh
2: that was a great riff and before i go further let me say this uh i tease terry cosgrove he's always giving me grief about something making fun of me for being too lefty etc and so forth uh but i will say this about this young man and is you should look listen and learn from him he doesn't back down and terry I think the failures of the reproductive rights movements, and we'll get into this, were uh, exemplified by a cartoon that I sent you about a week ago, which brilliantly talked about how Dems are always backing down to make compromise with Republicans on the issue of reproductive rights. And then more often than not, they, they think that that's going to end the Republican counter assault, and it doesn't. And then they find themselves in a position like Texas where they go, oh, my God, I thought this was an accommodating bunch that uh, you could compromise with. And the thing, Terry, I've liked about you since I met you in the late 80s, that's how old we are, is that you don't back down. You have a fundamental attitude about the right of women to, uh, to control their bodies, and you don't back down. It's like parental notification. A lot of people go, oh, Terry, isn't that so extreme? Shouldn't parents talk to their children? Hey, parent, you weren't there when the kid got pregnant. So I don't know why you have to be
0: there in the room right there. And then you don't back down T, and I give you credit for that. Well, Go ahead. You know what? It's um, it, it, you know, it's quite easy because when you believe that something is non-negotiable um, and that's what this is, the right of of women to control their own bodies, their lives, their destinies, their futures, because that's what this is about. It's about controlling their lives, their destinies, their futures, their dreams, their aspirations, and if you believe that's non-negotiable, then it's real easy to see that um, that this issue is non-negotiable because so much hangs in the balance uh, with it uh, in terms of what I just said. So the and so getting to the. The issue of Democrats, I don't think it's and first of all, I don't get on you because you're too lefty. What my beef is, is what strategically gets you to the end goal. And it's not about your ideology, Ben. Here, I'm going to give you some trouble here. It's about how do we get from A until in, until our goal, whether it's an energy bill, whether it's reproductive rights, whether it's gun safety, it doesn't matter. What's, what's the end goal? And, and the challenge in politics is to figure out how to get there. And that's what, that's what my beef is with people who are all about talking about things a lot and having an ideology. But if you can't institute it and get something done, then it's, I just don't want to be a part of that. I want to be about accomplishing things. So that's my. All right. Fair
2: enough. Uh, We'll avoid going down this road because I'm just going to say that there are some advantages that you have uh, with your issue that other people don't have. There's some disadvantages uh, that you have and we'll deal with those right now. But there are also some advantages because uh, your cause is popular in areas where people have a little more disposable income, let's put it that way. And so that's an advantage right there that you have. The, the
1: people
0: who impact it don't. I mean, this is, this is the issue. You, you are right, but, you know, like you and I were talking about the other day, um, a middle-class to wealthy woman in Texas gets on a plane and flies to LA or New York to get her abortion, and that's what happened prior to Roe v. Wade. You know, there that it wasn't wealthy women that were ending up in Cook County Hospital where we met the very first time in 1992 when Cook County restored abortion care for um, for low-income women. So this, so the issue is really about rural, young, and low-income women. That's what this issue is about. It's not about it's not about you know wealthy women and and upper income women because they've always had access to, um, to relative access to reproductive health care
2: yeah. well I was about to say uh, that's everything that was true that you just said and I was going uh, I was about to say that the disadvantage uh, that the reproductive rights uh, movement has is that the other side uh, has successfully turned this into a morality issue right. uh, and a lot of I A lot of people say, well, it's murder. Um, I'm really uncomfortable with it. Uh, And I I watch, like, for instance, uh, you didn't see this, but the exchange between uh, Saki, who is the uh, press secretary for Joe Biden, and some uh, right-wing reporter in an exchange that went viral, where he was saying, well, what about the, uh, who's going to look out for the unborn children? Uh, he, He confronted her with that right there at a press conference when they were talking about the Texas law and she was explaining why, uh, president Biden is opposed to the Texas law. And she said to him, well, uh, sir, uh, you will never, uh, have to face this decision. You will never be pregnant. And there's a lot of women very concerned about it. And then she just like,
0: all right, next question. Right, right. But, uh, very, good. very good. Well, that's part of the issue. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: So how do you deal with that? You've been well, you on the front lines in this thing for, th- all these years, Terry, how do you deal when people come at you with the moral uh, uh,
0: challenges? Yeah, um, I don't have any problem with the, you know, the immorality of illegal abortion. I mean, that it, it, that's really the issue here. The issue isn't. The legal status of abortion. In fact, abortion has been practiced since Roman days and Greek days. I mean, women have been terminating pregnancies um, for all of time. And the only question is, going back to first time I met you in front of Cook County Hospital, the only question is is how safe and accessible it is. That's that's the only issue. It doesn't the the legality of it uh, doesn't really uh, impact it um, to the extent that that the number of women I mean when women are desperate to terminate a pregnancy they will they will find a way to get it done and when it's illegal it's very unsafe women die you know the septic abortion ward at Cook County hospital that had 17 beds you know Quentin Young talked about it he did his residency there and held women in his arms who were dying of of septic infections from coat hangers and nitty needles and, and all of that. that. That is, that happened in Chicago, in Illinois, and it will happen again uh, if and when abortion becomes illegal in the state of Illinois, which which could happen just like it did in Texas.
2: Yes. Uh, it, well, let's, uh, let's talk about... Uh, Illinois, uh, and whether we are in any danger uh, of going like Texas, you've already alluded to this, Terry, with the uh, Supreme Court race, that would be the most dangerous, uh, the most vulnerable spot, I would say, in the Illinois. Anything else? Of course, the governor's race.
0: Well, you know, here, here's the issue. We, we can't take our, you know, we we can't take our eyes off the um politics at any time and expect that and expect that and that's what happened i mean i Ann richards was i mean let's go back Ann richards was the governor of texas um sarah weddington the woman who brought the the young 26 year old or uh, lawyer who brought roe v way to the u.s supreme court was from austin texas and uh and uh, in his pre-presidential years, George Bush, when he was a member of Congress, sponsored the bill that authorized the uh, the funding of Planned Parenthood, and Richard Nixon signed it into law. So so things change. And, there, and one bad election in Illinois, I mean, we get one of these nutcases that's running against J.B. for governor. That changes a lot right there because that has to do with you know, who controls health and human services, who controls, you know, a lot of things that aren't done, even legislatively that are done, you know, by regulation and rule. And then you've got the Illinois General Assembly. It only takes one bad election where um, where things can turn around. So whether it's 2022, or whatever. And the reason, you know, Illinois started out in the 1970s and 80s being the most anti-choice state in the country. And Texas was the most pro-choice state. When I started at personal Pack, Texas was a very pro-choice state. Illinois was a very anti-choice state. I mean, we had bans on IVF. We had a trigger law. We were one of four states that said, when Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortion will become illegal. We had spousal consent, where a married woman had to get her husband's permission to get an abortion. We have gotten rid of all of that stuff on the statute with the Reproductive Health Act. That doesn't mean we won't go back there. In two years or four years or six years, we have to stay constantly vigilant. And Texas is the perfect example of what happens. I mean, look at uh, look at a state like Iowa too, which used to be a purple state, sometimes blue. Look at Wisconsin. We've talked about that. I mean, Evers is the only thing that keeps Wisconsin from uh, from being the hellhole that Iowa, Missouri, and Indiana are, and in Kentucky and. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a constant, you know, I know people want to, after every election, you know, they're tired and they want to say, okay, we did it. And that's what happened with Clinton, Obama, <laughs> is that uh, people stop paying attention and look what happened and don't get me started on the 2016 election.
2: Oh, no, please. You know. We will avoid that one. But uh, just in general, I, I cannot stand. And Kelly Cassidy uh, and I were talking about this last week. Casey, uh, state representative from the north side of Chicago, one of the more liberal members of the, uh, the state house. Uh, we were talking about the fatigue factor, and she mentioned it as a sort of excuse. And then both of us started laughing at it. What a joke right. Dems fatigued. What what do you what is fatiguing? You know, this is life is a struggle, Terry. You know what I'm saying? I never see a
0: Republican ever say. Oh, I know. know. That's what I can't get across to our, you know, to our side is that the anti's never stop. They lose an election. They keep going. They win an election. They keep going. They never you know, they never they're never going to give up. Uh, until they outlaw all abortions for all women under all circumstances for all time, that is. That's when they're going to stop. And anyone who thinks they're going to stop at one restriction, if they're going to stop at not, you know, the the argument for years was we shouldn't be able to use our tax dollars to pay for abortion. They that was their rationale for you know the Hyde Amendment for banning uh, Medicaid funding in Illinois. And then the minute they got that, then they then they wanted. Uh, 24 hour, 48 hour, 96 hour waiting periods. They keep adding on the number of hours, all in the name of giving women more time to consider their uh, their decision. And it's all, you know, it's all BS. They're they're just trying to erect as many barriers as they can until they can completely outlaw abortion. And you know, the other thing is, and I'm really fearful about, is I don't think people realize the extent to which um, the most commonly used forms of birth control are at risk with this stuff i mean when these states start enacting like arkansas that abortion is that uh, life begins at the moment of conception it's not just abortion they're making illegal they're making most configurations of the birth control and the iud um uh, murder weapons in illegal and that is not hyperbolic I mean you they say it you know it's like you know my Angelo said when someone tells you who they are believe them on their websites if if they're telling us right now that we think that the that the pill is murder we think that the IUD is murder because it's interfering with uh with the um with with the an egg implanting uh in the uterine lining and becoming a full human being. They are, this is what they believe. And, you know, people can say, oh, that's ridiculous. I can't believe anyone would say that. Well, did anyone believe 10 years ago, 15 years ago that, uh, that we would be, you know, every time I write an email about in the last year about what's going on, I, I honestly, I think to myself, I can't, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have believed that I'm writing the email that I'm writing today for a personal pack because that's how far things have come and my biggest fear is people are not going to believe that they that anyone that thinks abortion is the end point like making it illegal they are sadly mistaken they are going after birth control they're going after you know the, a whole repealing all kinds of things i mean these are people that don't like equal pay they don't like um they don't like child care because it takes a woman out of the home and and anyone that thinks otherwise is just kidding themselves. They, you're just, you have your head in the sand if you don't believe uh, what's coming next after this. Well, you mentioned uh, at the
2: outset, I, I, I jotted this down, uh, that when you got into this, uh, this uh, game, so to speak, uh, Texas was more open-minded toward reproductive rights in Illinois, uh, which is a fascinating point when you think about where we are right now. Mm-hmm. So talk about the what has changed in illinois let's talk
0: let's do some positive what has changed in illinois go ahead paying attention to elections Uh, you know, we, we, we've taken every single election seriously. We've, you've said at the beginning of the show, uh, we haven't taken our foot off the pedal here and every single election. I mean, if I can describe it as visual, we started with this boulder at the bottom of the mountain and every single election, we pushed it up a little more. Uh, we've defeated, um, anti-choice candidates Um, And I think probably the biggest one was defeating uh, Bill Brady in uh, 2010 with Pat Quinn because then the Democrats got to draw that map. And uh, some of them have forgotten that it was the pro-choice issue. that gave them the map that they've been living under the last 10 years and the one that they got to draw recently. And the least they can do, the very least they can do is repeal this horrible parental notice of abortion law uh, to say thank you. Just a little thank you. You know, we're not asking for much. Just 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 get rid of laws that put the health and lives of women at risk. Is that a big ask? And I don't think so.
2: (laughs) No, listen, man, that's a that's a tough one. And uh, look, you don't have to convince me
0: yeah i so, think it's
2: the most insane thing in the world and i say this as a guy who raised teenage girls yeah. okay you know it's just parents are just fooling them It's is so parents are so weird anyway don't yeah. get me started on weird parents but they're just fooling themselves terry you know what i mean but right. it's so it's like i hear these little wimpy every, every politicians well you know ben i'm really have to listen i'm like it's just like a a parent wants to. A parent really wants to, to have that
0: kind of say, and, yes. and that's a tough one because uh, the other side is pretty much effectively well, 85%, brainwashed. Eighty-five percent do. Eighty-five percent of young women that go for an abortion involve parents or, or a trusted adult family member. In and, and, and here's the way I phrase this. This is how I answer that question. In the thirteen states that don't have any kind of parental involvement law and I don't want to hear anyone say Illinois is such a pro-choice state until we're the 14th, um, that the 13 states that don't have any kind of parental involvement law, 85% of, of young women under the age of 18 involve a family member, a, a parent or an adult family member. In the other states that do have parental involvement, mandated dangerous parental involvement laws, 85% involve a parent or a guardian. So the fifteen percent that don't in both cases are the vulnerable victims of violence, abuse, sexual assault, and those are the people that are being hurt by this. As the as the Human Rights Watch said when they declared the Illinois law a violation of human rights, they said the only people it hurts are the people that it that it impacts. It doesn't. It doesn't hurt anyone else. They're the only ones that. And and these again. These are the most vulnerable, low income, rural, and young women who are suffering greatly by this. I mean, imagine. I mean, just so people understand what the Texas law is about. Twenty four hours after the law went into effect, young women drove over a thousand miles from Texas, or took overnight, or took a Greyhound bus and came to Illinois to take a pill that is safer than an Advil or a Tylenol, and then had to sign or or someone had to sign a form saying they wouldn't take the pill in Texas, in order to prevent the lawsuit from happening. So this is what we're doing. So imagine that you are, you are escaping violence or sexual assault, coming to Illinois, and then hearing you have to hire a lawyer to go through a judicial bypass, to beg a judge to let you have the abortion because you've just been sexually assaulted and drove a thousand miles to get here. or you have, Or the doctor and you have to make a phone call back to Texas and tell the man who assaulted you if it's a family member that I'm in, that, you know, that I'm in Texas getting an abortion, I'm in Illinois getting an abortion. I mean, that's what this law is doing. So, um, so that's why it has to be repealed. You know? All
2: right. So what happened the last time you tried to repeal it?
0: Well, we got bogged down in a very busy legislative session and, uh, and you know, we need to keep pushing forward until it gets done. And if anyone, you know, here, here's my Here's what I'm doing, Ben. I am going to make the lives of legislators as miserable as they are making the lives of the young women they're hurting by not doing this. So that, that that's just it. I'm not going away. The pro-choice movement's not shutting up about this. We're not going to be placated until this happens. And if Democrats want to go into an off-year election in 2022 with having the women of Illinois upset the activists and the people who give money want to be upset with Democrats in the Illinois General Assembly because they couldn't do something this simple, which is striking a few sentences from the statute. That's all that's all PNA repeal is. It's not a complicated energy bill or a solving a pension problem. It is literally striking a few sentences from the statute. And, you know, and this goes back to, you know, the... The, the Republicans give their base everything. We know that, and it's like the Democrats are almost insistent on on frustrating the base, on uh, not, you know, when when you look at you know who showed up to vote and making and making life difficult when they don't have to. And you know, you you go to what happened be, between Texas and Illinois. I, I was telling a a legislator yesterday who remained unnamed to uh, protect her identity. But I said, you know, this is, I've been a student of the General Assembly for 40 years. You would have thought the entire dome was gonna collapse in Springfield when we repealed the death penalty. I mean, the drama, you would have thought that <clears throat> that the entire ceiling of the house floor was just going to fall in when they voted for, for civil unions, not even marriage. Or, and it goes on and on cannabis, you know, adult use of cannabis. I mean the drama. And then when, after it's all over, it's like everyone looks back and says, wow, what? That, we should have done that a long time ago. You know, my, my favorite story about politics is 20 years ago, you could not find A single person who supported marriage equality. I mean, let's put it this way: you can you can hardly find anyone now. You can't find anyone who ever opposed it. It's it's like everywhere you go. Oh, we should. And you know what? Not a single, not a single senator, Illinois state senator, who voted for HB forty or the RHA has lost an election. So there's no political rationale for for not. Um, t- for not making Illinois a pro-choice state. It just isn't there. It's uh, good politics. It's good policy. It's it's good for health care. I mean, it's good all the way around. And we just have to, you know, we have to drag them kicking and screaming. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is, kicking and uh, screaming. <laughs> the,
2: all right, i got to ask you about two categories, yeah. uh, Wimpy Dems and moderate Republicans. And I have moderate Republicans uh, in uh, yeah. uh, quotation marks. Let's start with Wimpy Dems. I've confronted Wimpy Dems my entire uh, life as a journalist here in the city of Chicago. And they must drive you nuts, Terry. I mean, I know you get an earful uh, with them. You know, Terry, I like your issue. I I, I mean, on the issue of marriage equality, Barack Obama was the leader of that list. Okay. First, he was for it when he was a state senator. Then he's running statewide. He's against it. He's evolving. He's constantly... You know, so just all you Obama fans out there, I just want to
0: remind you that. Yeah. So you must hear this. Go ahead. The other example I want to give, and I don't mean this to be an anti-Obama statement, but the reality is not a single president, Democrat or Republican introduced the federal budget without the Hyde Amendment language until Joe Biden, the first president to send the, the federal budget to Congress without the horrible Hyde Amendment language and it passed the House. So now it is on its way over to the Senate. So, so, you know, I want to give credit where credit is due to Joe Biden on that, on that front. Um, the, well, you know, Ben, here's, here's my attitude. I like to look forward and not backward. So uh, right now, um, we have uh, we have some Democrats in the Illinois General Assembly who are, you know, nervous, you know, and here's what they do. They, you know, they say they it, it, you've got it a little off. They, they they say yeah Terry we like it and everything but can't we do it after the next election yeah <laughs> except except the problem is there's always the next election and, and so it, it, it's not like saying you know after after I retire or after I die or you know or after my kids are grown you know that there's always going to be another election and especially in the house where they're spread out, you know, two years apart. And then there's a primary in March. So you're, so there's only a very small window where, where you're not actually in an election cycle. And then they don't want to do anything there anyways, because they were just elected. So, so you're on this hamster's wheel, you know, of, and so I, so I think the, the, the challenge is to, is to make the best argument uh, politically and also how, reproductive defending reproductive rights is good policy and it's good politics and so that's really the challenge To, uh and then you're just going to have people that don't that don't want to do it anyways and uh and then there's then there is an election for that and that's why we've gotten rid of so many of them you know there's a uh, you know ask, ask mark kalish you know from the 2020 primary he's i mean you just you know and, th- and that's really, you know, you asked what the difference is in Illinois. I mean, for the last 32 years, Personal PAC has defeated um, many um, anti-choice uh, elected officials, candidates and candidates who who just don't sh- You know, it's not personal. You know, people it's not personal. You're you're either you're either right on this issue or you're not when it comes to when it comes to the pro-choice community and if you're not well thank you very much um you're not you're not welcome you know and we need to find someone who is supportive of the issue i mean it's just pure politics it's not uh you know it's not anything personal you yeah, uh... know is- I don't take call, it that way, you know. They call
2: it personal pack, but it's not personal. Right. All right, uh, and let me just—he—he uh, he alluded to Mark because this is a—we'll uh, we, get to the uh, moderate Republicans, and yeah, just, yeah. But Mark, let's just deal with this. This is uh, this is textbook case of how you play the game of politics. So uh, Louis Lang was the state rep; he stepped down. Uh, and they appointed a gentleman named Kalish, who swore up and down. Apparently, I wasn't in the room that he was uh, pro-choice, and then he gets. Oh, no, he put
0: it in writing. He, he put
2: had, it in writing. I had
0: a questionnaire from him. He told Lou. He told everyone. Yeah.
2: Yeah he he pulled he pulled around her and he put it in writing. Yeah. Wow. Uh, by the way, we uh, uh, Casey <laughs> was on the show. Kelly Cassidy. She forgot that Ronner uh, put that ad in the Tribune. Uh, I remember reminding her. No, he put the ad. His wife put the ad in the Tribune. Women of Illinois, don't worry about this. My husband is. So they put it out there. Roner, what a wimp. Anyway, um, so uh, Kalish, and then he turns, he said he was uh, uh, pro-choice. And then all
0: all of a sudden. Not only that, he he told people he was voting for parental notice repeal. Wow. I oh, know the RHA. I'm sorry, the RHA. Yeah, I, I would think the parental notice was extreme for him. Well, he did, so, he did put that in writing too, yeah. but the issue in that in his vote was the RHA that he lied to people. Yeah. Uh, so
2: uh, how did you respond in the in the subsequent uh, primary election? Did you just say, oh, well, you know, we'll just agree to disagree <laughs> like so many wimpy Dems do. How
0: did. Uh, no, how- no, we found a candidate to run against him and we uh, we kicked his butt in the next election. I mean, that's. That was, you know, that was the remedy. Uh, And, you know, and one, again, it wasn't anything personal. I mean, he said some nasty things about me, but that's that goes with the territory. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't personal. We we had more. Listen, the the pro-choice candidate had more votes than he did. That was the bottom line. It was simple math.
2: Yeah, by the way, that phone call in the background is uh, Bruce Rauner calling up to give uh, Terry a hard time. Uh, uh, Terry says it's not personal, folks. Sometime I am going to secretly tape uh, Terry when we're having our private conversations.
1: <laughs>
2: and then you judge for yourself whether it's personal. This guy is like my mother. May she rest in peace. 20, 30 years. She went hold. She never forgot. I'll never forget what he did to you when you were in sixth grade.
0: Mom, fifty years old. No, no one treats my son that way. Well, well, Ben, I am Sicilian and Irish, <laughs> and that's a dangerous uh, combination. But yes, but and but he's But what? One. But what's sorry about that phone? That's all right. Take it off the hook. There. There that's go. About it. Um, <laughs> I guess the uh, you know um, what what I believe personally is not how i professionally act so let's let's just draw a distinction there yes. i'm sure That's there's true. a lot of things that you say in private that you probably wouldn't want to say on the radio show as yeah. to why but um, uh, yeah but more and, and more I, me, let's put it that
2: way as i, I get older that filter falls i'm discovering yeah. <laughs> that i can't help myself
0: uh well, all right I let's get encouraged to write a book
2: <laughs> yeah i should <laughs> then no uh I should write a book. All right. Uh, So let's get to a moderate Republicans. I've been having a field day with this kid uh, who's running for governor uh, from downstate Illinois. Apparently he's uh, established that he's from the heartland and he's not from San Francisco. I love this. I love that he's dealing with this because his name is Jesse Selva. Because really, if you tell MAGA you're from San Francisco, you know what that means, T? You know where they yeah. MAGA's going with that San Francisco? You remember Gene Kirkpatrick oh, yeah. in 1984 uh-huh. at the Republican Convention talking about San Francisco Democrats? You yeah. know what she was getting at, Terry. Oh, I know, I know. Listen, And know. Republicans have been playing that game for a long time. So I always got issue with gay people who are Republican. That's a real tough one for me to understand, Terry, given yeah. the whole history. Uh, right. But we'll... Anyway, uh, so uh, J- Jesse Sullivan uh, is now really going back, bending over backwards uh, to convince people uh, that he's actually from Illinois. He's always lived here, and just because his company that he made a fortune with uh, is based in San Francisco does not mean uh, he's not from the heartland. Fair enough. I'm uh, just uh, smiling at that whole one. But the thing that uh, we're – you play into this is that uh, when he announced he was running, he called himself a moderate. Uh, He said he was very much uh, against abortion, but that the um, since the Democrats controlled the state legislature, it really wouldn't matter. So it's not an issue. And I'm like, I said this on the air at the time. I think I said to KC, Kelly Cassidy, I go, there's no way Terry Cosgrove is going to let him get away with that one. Uh, So we'll just start since I got you right here. Your general reaction to a, quote, unquote, moderate Republican who says, don't worry that I'm against abortion. I don't have the votes uh, in the Democratic-controlled legislature to pass anti abortion bills. So just, it's not an issue. The issue is moot.
0: What's your response? Well, my response to that is uh, the women of Illinois need to know exactly where he stands. And um, I'm guessing that he will be asked by esteemed (laughs) journalists... (laughs) all over the place about and the anti-choicers are going to want to know if he uh, you know if he opposes abortion in cases of rape and incest believes that the pill is a murder weapon and all that other stuff so you know these people can't run and hide I mean that's the problem I mean they you know like Bruce Browner thought they were so clever And uh, and other people do. They think they're you know, they think they're really clever when in the end they're going to get caught because they're not going to be able to hide from it. And uh, and, you know, we'll be mailing a questionnaire to everyone and, you know, they're going to be smoked out. But my response is, you know, I think by by not saying I believe that abortion is a private personal decision between a woman or a doctor, he's already telling you where he's coming from. So I don't think that there's much. I don't think there's much of a guessing game here. I, he's uh, he's clearly one of the you know the right wing nuts that's running for governor um, uh, in Illinois, and he will um, we will find that out in in due time. And and he has a record. I mean, it's like you know Adam Kinzinger you know, is trying to come off as a spotter, and except he did sign an amicus brief um, to the U.S. Supreme Court saying he wants to see uh, Roe v. Wade overturned. Um, so, uh, so you know, they can, they can try this, you know, this word salad uh, to get around what their position really is. But we'll, we'll, we're on to him. Yeah, he's not going to get away with it. Trust me. Mark it um, mark it down right now he's not gonna get away with it. Yeah. Right, hold on. He's not gonna get it. Okay. <laughs> no, I uh, I just wrote that down. He's not yeah, gonna get I mean it. it's stupid. It's it, it's a dumb response and, I, and the voters are not gonna are not gonna buy into that. They're they they want to know where people stand on the issue, not they don't need a history lesson or, or you know, a projection of where things are going. They wanna know where someone stands. That's how that's how they're gonna base their vote.
2: All right. Now, as we head down uh, the path to our future elections, uh, the Republican Party, for better or for worse, has staked out the Texas law as its position. As you mentioned, that law uh, that is essentially outlawing abortion uh, and deputizing people uh, to uh, penalize anyone who is any way involved with the abortion, except this is so weird. The woman who actually gets the abortion. Uh, So that's their position. They're replicating that law uh, with proposals in states all over the um, the country. I can't think of any Republicans at the moment who have stood up in opposition to the Texas. Maybe you do. Uh, Terry, you can correct me on that. But there are there are very few. This is the position of the Republican Party for better or for worse, as we head into the congressional elections of 2022, that will decide who controls Congress. I'm just putting it out there, T. That's their position. Now, I have a hard time believing, I'll get your thoughts on this. I have a hard time believing that that position, that extremist position outlawing abortion will prove to be more popular than even the wimpiest of democratic reproductive rights positions. I just cannot believe that your thoughts on which one is more in touch, more in tune, excuse me, with the American uh, voting population. Go ahead.
0: Well, we already know that 77% of people don't want Roe v. Wade overturned or believe abortion is, should be a private decision between woman or doctor, depending on which poll you've been looking at over the last 50 years. So we know that there is, um, there's wide support for, uh, for that. And, you know, what the, I mean, I think what the Texas law did is it put front and center what the real, what their real agenda is. Um, as I've said on the show many times before, Ben there, there was a time when the anti-choice people didn't dream of, of, um, of introducing a bill in Congress or in the General Assembly here in Illinois or other states that didn't have an exception for rape and incest. I mean, that was kind of their, see what nice human beings we are, we're, uh, you know, we're raking. And, and in a lot of cases, a woman's health. So so they were, you know, they were playing that political game at that time. And uh, we all knew in the reproductive rights movement that it was nothing but a ploy to to make them look a little more, um, hospitable to <laughs> to women, but now the Texas law just comes right out and says that we don't care what the circumstances are of the pregnancy we don't care what women think and to the point where the woman can't be sued that's because they think so little of of the woman that she has no agency in this she it's like she doesn't exist other than to be this vessel and to hear the anti talk about um, this This person who is uh, who is carrying this pregnancy, it's like she doesn't matter at all. There's no and 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 it's really like she can't even think clearly because she's a woman and she's pregnant. So why punish her? I mean, I don't know but that, but that's kind of their general attitude towards women in general. And I don't. And to answer your question directly, I don't think it's going to go over well. I mean, I think that it's going to be a wake-up call, uh, particularly to suburban women who um, who have been sitting uh, largely, not individually, but largely uh, suburban white women, largely on the sidelines when our democracy is going up in flames. And you know, like you and I were talking earlier, um, there aren't enough uh, people of color in this country to save our democracy. And not to disparage you or Dennis or me, but uh, you know, white men as a class aren't exactly uh, stepping up to, as a class to save our democracy. I mean, many of them are storming the Capitol and 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 you know uh, and blocking entrances to. You know, COVID vaccinations, but um, but it is really white women that need to step up and save our democracy. And um, and I think that the the issue of Texas, the issue of COVID, and the issue of um, oh, the little issue of you know our planet's going up in flames or flooding or uh, or dying uh, just might uh, just might motivate some people to pay more attention to elections and politics. Because let's look at it this way: I mean, if you look at at the at covid and and uh and climate change and choice the the culprits in the problem are all the same right i mean there there's so much overlap and uh and the california result with you know the with newsom's covid mandates and then you turn on the you know can you turn on the tv and not see um some state burning or flooding or being terrorized by a hurricane. And then, uh, and, and here's the thing. I mean, women, and I'm talking about women as viewed in the traditional role and even non-traditional role, they are more affected by COVID than any other uh, than, than, certainly men because they they have primarily have to be concerned about getting their kids to school how are they going to find childcare to go to work whereas men are just kind of well they're going about their business they're getting up i mean again i'm not stereotyping i'm just saying is a generally as a class you know getting up and going to work or sitting at their computer all day and in or in And getting along, it's women that have to juggle all this and then throw Texas on the top of it, you know. So I can't imagine that it's not going to be a motivator. And if it isn't, then I really don't think we have, then there's really much hope for, uh, for the future. Yeah, just, no. honestly, I, agree.
2: I, yeah. uh, I agree. If the, you don't get motivated by the tech what's going on in Texas, then uh, you're just too fatigued to participate anymore. You just yeah, you know, know. check out uh, Kelly Cassidy's friends. Come on, Kelly, your friends are fatigued. <laughs> I had a laugh I when you're doing I know.
0: Well, you know, that's the, you know, that, that is generally the, the the, the elect you know after the November election I mean people were so um, you know anxious about the result and and I know for me the next day I was get getting ready to get in my car and go to Georgia to help Warnock and 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 Ossoff get elected and it wasn't until January sixth that I thought things would calm down. <laughs> no, I, I you know what I think Democrats I, I think Democrats
2: should fall out of the habit. That, I I believe I've been thinking about this for a long time, uh, should fall out of the habit of taking that sigh when they, when their candidate it, it wins. And I've seen this happen. It's just, this is a, a democratic thing that they do. Right. And I saw it really pronounced with Obama. Right. But I saw it happen with Clinton, you know, that's that sigh. Yeah. Well, We're glad that's over. I here's, mean, that's a democratic thing, Terry, and I'm really
0: sick of it, and it's annoying. Yeah, well, here's the other problem with it. The other problem is elections are just a starting point. They're not an end point. And I think people have to get that out of their uh, heads, is that when after, and look at what we're going through with p a We elected the most probably general assembly in the, one of the most pro-choice general assemblies in the country. And we are struggling and fighting to repeal parental notice. I mean, yeah. you you know, and so the election is only the starting point. That That's the gun at the gate. And then it's getting the policies instituted that is really the hard work. I mean, the elections are, I mean, I would say elections are easy because it's my life. But, and it's certainly not easy, but it's not, it's just the beginning of the, of you know, of the game. It would be like, um, you know, running around a track three times and then saying, okay, now i am going to the Olympics <laughs> to win a gold medal. You know, it's like you put in all the work and the prize is the policy. It's yeah. the election result. It's the, and going back to my original thing about, I don't criticize you for your leftist views, but it's the, it's the prize. The prize is the policy. It's not the election result. The election result is just the nice beginning. It's the, it's All right. We're opening.
2: We're, we're going to uh, close with this. This is uh, a raw meat uh, to a bear. I am about the throat of Terry. Uh, th- this this is something we talk about, folks, endlessly. We we will we'll we'll be 130 years old and talking about this. We love talking about this gerrymandering. One thing Terry and I see eye to eye on is any deaf, any quote unquote reformer who says Illinois should move to a system of quote unquote fair maps to let Republicans in the room is a fool. Yes. And uh, just a fool whose eyes and ears are shut as to what's going on in every Republican state in the country, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, North. I Every now and then I'll hear some damn, oh God, I don't know what I can't. The, I, Really, wimpy Dems or moderate Republicans? I, MAGA, I, I think I like MAGA more than them, okay? It's weird, I know. But Dems are gonna... <laughs> And my fear is Republicans take back the House because they've so successfully gerrymandered the congressional districts right. that right. Yes. those Texas laws prevail. Because they can they maximize the voting strength of far right MAGA
0: voters. That's my concern. Right, right. No, I agree. I agree. And, you know, my what I say to all of my Illinois friends and colleagues in politics who are against um against um gerrymandering if you want to call it that is go to I- go to ohio and work go to you know go to go to iowa go to missouri there's so many places that i would send money i'll buy you the bus ticket there to do it you know but but i just want to quote you know mike quigley jan jakowski and all of our progressive friends who say the solution is all 50 states are held to the same standard, and that kind of law needs to pass in Congress. So the minute that Congress passes a law that applies to all 50 states that say that maps need to be drawn in the same way, whether it's a commission, whether it's appointed by a Supreme Court, or whatever, whatever the solution is, until it happens in all 50 states, I don't want to hear about it. I just don't want to hear about it because it's, it's a joke, you know, for, for Illinois, you know, it's like Democrats are willing and these Democrats, if they're Democrats at all, I don't know, are willing to, are willing to again, give up something. And, you know, and I got to tell you the ill, the, the congressional districts that are drawn in Illinois could decide who's control, who, who's, who's in control of Congress come January of 2023. So we're not playing games here. This is, this is very, very real. And if Kevin McCarthy becomes the speaker over Nancy Pelosi, and um, we can expect a very, very different second two years uh, for Biden. And if, you know, and if uh, Democrats lose the Senate and Stephen Breyer hasn't decided to leave then because, you know, we like to stay on the Supreme Court until we die. If you're a Democrat, you know, Republicans push him off the court. But don't get me started on that one. <laughs> No, I won't. That's, we'll hold off on that one. Uh, all right. I, I know I'm going to have you
2: back. Pl- plenty of time to talk more in detail about the Supreme Court races. That, that, these elections are not uh, until next year. So I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it right now. We'll close
0: by you promoting your luncheon. Yes. Thank uh, that's you. coming up. Go thank ahead. You. Yeah. Yeah. Our Our annual luncheon is October 20th. Uh, of this year uh, a few weeks just a few weeks away and our keynote speaker is none other than U.S. Senator Raphael Warnock from Georgia, who actually has a very, very tight race in 2022. And uh, I'm really excited to hear from him because this guy has been in the trenches and and a pro-choice uh, advocate. And, and also we're giving a Lifetime Achievement Award. This is really personal to me because I've always admired this man beyond the clouds, which is Norman Lear, um, is getting our Lifetime Achievement Award. And then also... Uh, State Senator Heather Staines, Barbara Flynn-Curry, uh, former State Representative, State Senator uh, Heather Staines, and then uh, uh, we're having a roundtable discussion with them and State Representative Delia Ramirez, who is a fighting progressive in the Illinois House, and then Kelly Fox, uh, who is a pro-choice advocate and is chair of the Illinois Planned Parenthood C4 Board, which is their, uh, which is their. Um, you know, their political arm of Planned Parenthood. And he happens to be married then to none other than one Kim Fox, who your view your listeners are probably familiar with. So
2: yes. Uh, she was on this show and she uh, I think she was the one who swore, right, Dennis on our show. Uh
0: which was well, you won't uh, let me do that, but let me personalpack.org is where you buy your tickets. And if you don't want to buy a ticket, make a donation, because we will put every dollar to work to keeping Illinois a pro-choice, progressive state on all the issues you care about. Even though reproductive rights is our single issue, it, it expands out into so many other issues. Yes. Uh, all right. Terry
2: Cosgrove from Personal Pack. Thank you very much. I think I'm going to make you come on the show at least once every six weeks. Uh, people got to wake up and realize uh, you just you just don't go to sleep uh, after a presidential election. It's it's an ongoing uh, fight. Uh, Republicans aren't quitting. Mag is not quitting. And I think Democrats would. uh you know, take a, a, a lesson, learn a lesson from MAGA. You know what I'm saying? Uh, at least in terms of tenacity. So, uh, uh, Terry, thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. appreciate it. Also, want to thank uh, Nicole Contello from the EPA uh, Region 5 uh, Union and talking about uh, mandates, uh, vaccine mandates, fascinating uh, situation that her union is facing. And, of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show is possible. And as Terry Cosgrove will tell you, Back home in Alton, they call him Dr.
0: D. Give hey, yourself nice you a raise. Take another out. I've heard it over and over. I've tried to make an appointment and you can't get one. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everybody. <laughs> okay, bye.